so we can persevere in our faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the passage we have before us this morning is a a big one. It's an important one because it's a call to unity. It is a call to harmony within the church, within the church. Now, I know some of us have been hurt by churches before. Some of us, you know, we got excited about church in the beginning. We first got saved and we found out everybody doesn't agree on stuff. Sometimes we don't disagree well. Sometimes we don't know when to drop the hammer and when to say, you know what, we just don't agree there. And how do we sift through all of that? Some of you may have a background that you might call a fundamentalist background, your church that you grew up in or the Bible college you went to that didn't allow you to play cards. You weren't allowed to go to movies. You weren't allowed to dance. Right? There was a lot of don'ts. And then some of us got so burned by that, hurt by that, we look back and we cast all of it aside. Some of us still carry some of those things with us and foist them on other Christians around us. And we find out that's not CFC policy. Well, what's going on here? Are we not concerned with, about holiness? And there's a lot of popular issues that are still bugging us today. Maybe not so much about card playing or shooting pool. But what about smoking? What about Christians getting tattoos? What really are Christians allowed to do on the Lord's Day? I mean, these are issues that are important because holiness is important. As we think about what is holy as I'm pursuing holiness, these matters, they are important. We're not talking about what sports team do you root for, what kind of car do you prefer to drive. We're talking about what pleases the Lord, right? And for doing that together, it Harmony is needed for us to pursue holiness together. And where we are not in harmony, we can't encourage one another in this holiness that we're pursuing. We can't honor God together because we separate each other with some of these issues. Well, we have some brothers and sisters that find it perfectly fine to do certain things worshiping in the same congregation with other brothers and sisters who think that those things are reprehensible to God. How do we do that together? If you're new here this morning, I hope and pray that you don't think I just sort of randomly chose this text because we're dealing with such big issues here. This is some church that is a model of disunity. It's on tap because we're going through Romans. But that doesn't mean it doesn't apply. I think all of us need to wrestle with this question. And what we have here with Paul Addressing this Roman church, it's a mixed church. It's a mixed church in in many ways. At least, we've seen this, you've got Jewish Christians, so they're Christians, but they have Jewish backgrounds. They grew up in the synagogue. They memorized the Torah. And then you have Gentile Christians who never heard of it. And they're worshiping together in the same church. It seems like that theme of Jewish and Gentile Christians getting along continues in this part of the letter. And one of the issues that they were thinking about was eating kosher. I mean, if you've ever went through the Old Testament, you see that they just couldn't cook and eat whatever they wanted, right? And there were certain meats that were disallowed, certain meats that were allowed, but those meats had to be prepared in a certain way, a kosher kitchen. And then you have Gentile Christians that are like, what are you talking about? This is delicious. Come over to the barbecue. I'm not going to your barbecue. What are you talking about? Your barbecue offends me. Your barbecue is unholy. What? You're unholy. God created that meat. This is the situation that Paul is speaking into. 
Some say that maybe the issue was that it was hard to find in Rome. I mean, you're living in Rome. How many kosher delis are there? Maybe it was difficult to procure the, the kind of meat that you would say kosher, or they say, yeah, yeah, that's kosher. Yeah, yeah. Are you just trying to get me to buy the meat, or did you, is it actually kosher? Yeah, yeah, kosher. Oh, maybe it's better to just eat vegetables when you don't know. So we should probably just all eat just vegetables. Other believers going, look, they said it's kosher, and you know what? Kosher is Old Testament, so I'm eating it. What do you mean? The Old Testament is not the Bible? Paul has to write and address this issue. Some of them were honoring holy days. Now, you remember under Moses, there were at least seven different kinds of holy days or groups of holy days. A lot of times when Scripture mentions holy day, we think of the Sabbath, but there were others. You had Passover, you had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, Tabernacles or Booths, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement? We're not going to honor that today? Nah, that's Old Testament. It's the Day of Atonement, man. Right? Disagreements. So we're going to see Paul address varying opinions in a church, and the opinions aren't about sanctuary, ambiance, what kind of lighting we should get. It's not about what color carpet kind of issues. These are issues that are germane to holiness. And if we're supposed to take holiness seriously, you can see why these are divisive issues and why they're quarreling about it. And we're going to see that he wants to address these divisions because he needs them to be united even on issues where they differ, even on issues where they have varying opinions. I wasn't going to do this, but I think it's helpful because I want you to see how chapter 14, verse 1, all the way to 15, 7 is one unit. I'm going to read it, and I want you to follow along with me so you can see the train of thought, so you can see that it's all one issue that he's addressing. It begins, it starts, and ends with this issue of welcoming each other. And he doesn't mean welcome like in the, you know, greeter shaking hands at the door, which we love to do. He doesn't mean a show of hospitality. He means, yes, you're a brother. You worship, you're a sister. You worship Christ together with me. We are one family with the Lord versus, while those of us who practice this are family of the Lord, you're not really in yet. It's this in and out welcoming theme that he's addressing from 14.1 at least all the way to 15, 7. Let's start in verse 1, push through, and then we'll make some comments. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment? judgment on the servant of another it is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the lord is able to make him stand one person esteems one day is better than another while another esteems all days alike each one should be fully convinced in his own mind the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the lord the one who eats eats in honor of the lord since he gives thanks to god while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the lord and gives thanks to god for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. 
Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen. Well, let's unpack this just one chunk at a time with a passage this long. won't be able to unpack every phrase, but I want you to see the thrust. I want you to see the thread that goes through the entire thing. And he begins by charging us to welcome weaker brothers because God has welcomed them. He's, he's, in this moment, he's speaking to the stronger Christians and how they should treat the younger Christians, or not younger age-wise, but maturity-wise, the weaker Christians. And he wants them to do that because God has welcomed them. So as for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him. So he's talking to the person who's strong in faith, to welcome the person who's weak in faith. But don't welcome them to quarrel over opinions. I'll welcome you, but we need to figure this out. You know, we need to figure, we need to be on the same page about everything in order to be in harmony. And Paul's saying, no, no, you don't have to be on the same exact page regarding everything in order to be harmonious. You, you welcome them and refuse to quarrel over opinions. And so when he talks about quarreling over opinions, this can't mean that there's never a need to debate anyone about anything. If somebody comes to church and is like, yeah, well, I, I believe that I can you know, cheat on my wife, so <laughs> don't quarrel with opinions over me. It says welcome me. Uh, it also says you're a sinner. I mean, we're talking about what is clear in Scripture versus what is less clear in Scripture. 
And what Paul is talking about is a lane where you're not clear. It's not as clear. He's not saying it's unclear. We'll get to that in a minute. But he's not talking about there's never a time to put somebody out. There's never a time for church discipline. There's never a time to rebuke, correct, or instruct. That's what Scripture is inspired to do. 2 Timothy 3. And when he's talking about opinions, he's talking about reasonable positions on matters that are closely tied to biblical instruction. I'm going to say that again. When Paul talks about differences of opinions, he's not talking about carpet color on one end, things that just really are are so trivial, we don't have scripture on it. Nor is he talking about things that scripture is clear on, clear. This displeases God. This pleases God. Well, do those things and don't do the other things. Those are clear. He's talking about this middle space that, that we have scripture that seems to tell us to do it, so the weaker Christian thinks, but the stronger Christian has figured out that's not really what scripture is telling us to do there, but the younger Christian just hasn't figured it out yet. That's what we're dealing with here, and I hope that that'll be clear as we move through. The issues that he talks about, here's the first one. One person, he's giving some examples. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. The weak person is the vegetarian. Now, some of us are vegetarian for different reasons. I think they were vegetarian because they thought it was holy to do so. That's different than the diet that you chose because your favorite YouTube doctor told you This is the way to do it. This is a different issue. This isn't carnivores versus vegetarians. This is people who look to the Old Testament. They see they're supposed to eat only certain kinds of meat, and those certain kinds of meat have to be prepared in a certain way. And if I can't guarantee that it gets prepared that certain way, the only thing I have before me is vegetables. Then they'll pull out Daniel, won't they? Daniel and his friends refused to eat the king's meat and the king's drink, and they ate only vegetables, and they were stronger than everybody else. Shouldn't we just eat vegetables? You see, they have scripture. They're not pulling this out of nowhere. The first glance, it looks like it says it's wise to abstain. And Paul's saying, no, no, let me, let me help you here. And he doesn't immediately solve the issue He helps them by telling them how they're supposed to welcome one another. Verse 3, let not the one who eats meat despise the one who abstains. I I hate those vegetarians always showing up like, no, I passed, no. But I cooked it. I don't care. I'm only eating vegetables. Daniel, Daniel fast. Don't despise those people. Good for them that they're exercising the discipline to eat in a way that honors the Lord in their minds. They feel like eating meat. They're convinced in their mind that eating meat would dishonor the Lord. Don't discourage that. They're not sinning by eating vegetables. Let them be. Don't despise them. But to the weaker Christian, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. I can't believe they're eating meat right now. I mean, straight up pork. Ordering carnitas tacos. Like, read the Bible. No, don't pass judgment on the one who eats. And here's his grounds, because God has welcomed him. You'll notice that even though he talks about the weaker one and the stronger one, he calls them brothers. Now, there are some people that profess to be brothers, and you find out they're not brothers. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5. And the church has the obligation to tell them, actually, you're not a brother. 
sir. Now, if you want to be a brother, you need the gospel. You need to confess. You need to live into what Scripture clearly says a Christian is supposed to be. But these opinions, this is in this ground, this area where it's not a matter of putting somebody out. You welcome them. You can eat at the table with the person who thinks what you're eating is not for them, and you can do that with each other without hating each other, without judging one another. And so, we see an irony there, and this is hard to grasp. Even, I want to say, maybe especially for me, it's hard to grasp the irony that the stricter brother is the weaker brother. The one who has more rules is more strict. Constantly citing scripture for all their strict rules. That's actually the immature brother. Now listen, we, we live in a day and age with society decaying. I see Christians who watch anything Hollywood puts out. We just watch it. There, there's no filter. There's no guard. Watch whatever. Date whomever. That's a problem. So for me, pastorally, when I read this, I'm like, yeah, the stronger brother is the one with less rules. That doesn't really put a pep in my preaching step, right? But it's because the person with the rules is misunderstanding something scripturally. They both want to pursue holiness. The stronger brother in this passage is not someone who's like, I don't care about rules. Who cares about holiness? They're clear in their minds that God created all these foods and has declared them clean. So I'm going to enjoy to God's glory and give him thanks for all these foods. It's not, I don't care what the Bible says. I grew up on pork. It's, I believe this pleases God. But then the other person hasn't gotten there yet, and they believe the restriction pleases God, and they can both eat together, minding each other's restrictions or freedoms. And he says we don't judge each other. He doesn't say we don't judge each other at all. We don't want to misquote Jesus. Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't judge. He says get the speck out of your eye so that you can help the person, uh, the plank out of your eye so you can help the person with the speck in their eye. We are supposed to perform surgery on each other. But we're also not supposed to walk around with tweezers and every kind of sign of dust. We're always sticking something in somebody's eye, always pulling stuff out because everything is a sign of unholiness. That is not what he wants. Save that for actual planks. Save that surgery for actual splinters that the Bible is clear about. Certain things are a little harder, and it takes some Christian maturity to grow into. And the kosher kitchen was one of them. Many of us just take it for granted. Some of us maybe don't eat meat but for other reasons. But I don't know how many of us are vegetarian because we got it from the Old Testament. See, that, that's the difference. And God welcomes them. And in the end, God is the one that will make them stand. God will take care of their conscience. God will bring them along, leave them alone. And so we're not to despise, and we're not to judge, but live in harmony. Now look at verse 5. He comes up with another example, but what he's moving to now is to say, why does God welcome them? He welcomes them because their heart for worship is sincere. They want to glorify God. They want to honor the Lord in what they do. And that's in verses 5 through 9. He gives another example. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. 
Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. You see? The one who says, there are certain days where you drop what you're doing and you have a worship service. We need to honor Passover. We need to honor the Day of Atonement. We need to honor Pentecost. We need to honor the Sabbath. All these days, we need to honor them in the way that the Old Testament says honor them. The other Christian, in Paul's view, the stronger Christian realizes that there's a way in which it's not that it's not in the Bible, but Christ has come and fulfilled that in a way that we worship Christ with that same intensity every day. Every day. All days are alike because they're all created by God. They're all for him. Whether we're working or resting or sleeping or doing a hobby, we're, we're doing those things to glorify God. So in that distinction... He's using another example to show them how you've got two different views, and he says you need to be convinced in your own mind, fully convinced in your own mind, that what? That it honors the Lord. You're, convinced, you're not convinced that that's what you grew up with. You're not convinced that that's going to be the best model for your kids. You're not convinced that uh, it's just countercultural, and I want to be a countercultural warrior. You're convinced that the Lord likes it, that he's honored by it. And that's when those of us who don't agree need to look at the person who sees it differently and say, that's how you're honoring the Lord. And in your mind, that, that honors the Lord. And as long as you don't rake me over the coals about it, you honor the Lord that way. You should. Because you're not convinced. Now, I'm convinced, so I'm going to worship this way. But you're not convinced, so you worship that way. And I'm not going to sit there and quarrel with you about it. That doesn't mean we can't talk about it, but quarreling has this, this edge to it, doesn't it? That you're, you're not a brother. That's the point of what he doesn't want us to do. And we do that honoring the Lord because all of life, even all of death, is the Lord's. He says, verse 7, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. He's not talking about, I think it's fine to, you know, click on any website I want. Can you do that and say this honors the Lord? Can you include that in a, in a, in a time of worshipfulness before the Lord to click on that site? to read that book, to watch that movie, to talk that way with that filthy mouth? Does that honor the Lord? See, so we can't just open this uh, uh, envelope of liberty and stuff everything we just feel like doing, stuff it in the liberty envelope. That, that's not how it works. These people have scriptural basis to conclude what they're concluding. They just need maturity to see that that's not the whole picture, but they're not there yet. That's different than giving sin a pass in the name of liberty. We don't want to do that. Christ is over all things. He's over your days. He's over your nights. He's over your weeks. He's over your weekends. He's over your life, and he's over your death. Christ purchased that through his death and his resurrection so that our pursuit of holiness is a giving thanks to the Lord. It's a response to the work that Christ has done. 
it's not so that we can get in with God, right? We, we're welcome to the table because God welcomes people, and God welcomes people on the basis of Christ's purchase of their honor to him. And so this is not a performance. This is not something where we're trying to get uh, God's pleasure through our own effort. But because of what Christ has done, we, we live in response to that. That's where in some lanes we differ a little bit. This, I think, is a pleasing response to the Lord. I give him thanks this way. Somebody else says, no, no, I, I don't think you could give thanks that way. You have to restrict it. And those are the differing opinions. So even though we're not to judge each other, we are to hold each other accountable on, on clear, non-debatable matters of holiness, but on what I want to say, reasonable issues. Okay, The opinions that he's talking about are reasonable issues. You can get them reasonably from Scripture. In those areas... We need to try to live lives that are honoring the Lord, and we need to help each other do that. That's where he goes next. Look at verse 10 and following. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, quoting Isaiah, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So because in the end, we're all going to stand before God in terms of, how our lives honored him. Because of that, look at verse 13, therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. This person hasn't come to that scriptural conclusion yet that you can eat pork. Rather than rushing that person and confusing them and they think, well, if that's allowed, then anything's allowed and now they don't know how to live a holy life. You stumble them with that. Rather than helping them endure and prepare for meeting the Lord and giving account to the Lord, you're serving as a hindrance, and we don't want to do that. He says in verse 14, he knows what the issue is. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Going back to that idea that if you're fully convinced in your mind this honors the Lord, you need to do that. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Aren't we fragile? As you're growing in your Christian faith, you can be hurt or destroyed Somebody can kill you spiritually by pulling you into a lane that they're not ready for. Again, that only applies to categories that are these debatable areas within Scripture itself, not clear areas of sin. So we're not allowed to just be like, look, you go to your growth group, I'll go to my growth group, and we'll have the meat-eating growth group, and we'll have the vegetarian growth group, we'll sit in different sections on Sunday, and I don't want to talk to you. Because it's not just refusing to place the stumbling block in their lives, but figuring out how we're able to help that person along and build each other up. And so he says, if your brothers grieve by what you eat, verse 15, you're no longer walking in love. But what does that mean? We need to walk in love toward one another. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So there's two lines that can be crossed. I'm not going to tell you 
you're in sin because you're restricting meat from your diet. And as I encourage you in that, you mutually encourage me by leaving me alone when I order the carnitas. You know what I'm saying? Now we can eat in fellowship together. You order the fish tacos, I'll order the carnitas, and we both give thanks to God. We pray together before that meal. It's this mutual exchange. It doesn't mean don't eat together. That's a cheap solution. The real solution is to encourage one another along with the consciences. How do we know each other's consciences? We talk. We communicate. Hey, does this offend you? Hey, I, I notice you, you never order meat. What's up with that? Well, I, I think I, I just, it, it burns my conscience to, to eat. Okay, well, is it okay if I eat? Or No, it actually bothers me. Okay, then I won't. Why? Because that's walking in love. That's walking in love. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are not to say, well, <laughs> that's your problem. I'll have the double scotch. Drink that in your living room, man. If you know the person sitting across from you is offended by that. So we don't take our freedom and flaunt it or foist it on top of the one who's restricted, just like the person who believes in the restriction doesn't take that restriction and foist it over you on your freedom. So, does that mean that when we're out together and doing things together, when there's a conflict, that the stronger brother has to default to the conscience of the weaker brother? Yes. Not for all of life, in that situation, in that place, in that setting. Do, do any of us crave bacon so bad? I, I have to have it now? Eat it at home, man. It's not worth it. It is not worth it to push that brother. Let them come along on the Lord's time. He reports to God. She reports to the Lord on these matters. And so as he pushes through, he wants us to live in harmony walking together in love, not ignoring each other, not just deciding to go to a different church and it'll just be easier, but to, to live together in harmony, encouraging one another in our pursuit of holiness. And he wants us to do that even if you know you're right. I, did you catch that? Paul is like, look, I know which the right position is here. I'm an apostle, well-educated, Anybody knows the Old Testament laws? This guy does. Not Lucas, me. I'm channeling Paul here. And what does he tell them? Verse 14, I know and I'm persuaded, not just in my mind, not just in my conscience, in the Lord Jesus Christ, I know nothing is unclean. Now what Paul is drawing on is scriptural teaching. You remember in Acts 10 and 11, where Peter has that vision and God doesn't say, you can eat it if you want to, don't call it unclean, he tells Peter. All this food I created, don't call it unclean anymore. <laughs> You're kidding, right? I'm saying it again. What does Peter say in Mark, uh, Jesus say in Mark 7? It's not the food that goes in that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your mouth that makes you unclean. And then in parentheses, Mark says, by saying this, Jesus declared nothing is unclean. So you see, Paul is not saying, you know what? I like meat. Let's change it up. Let's change it up from the Old Testament. He's saying if you understood the full scope of Scripture's teaching, you will see that, yes, in the Old Testament they were restricted, but it pushes forward into this time now, this era now, this new covenant now, where we understand the principle behind some of those laws, but the regulation of laws is not binding today. That really confuses me. I just read the Bible. It says no meat, so I'm not eating meat. Okay, I understand that's where you're at right now. Don't eat meat, brother. 
Paul knows the truth, and he still doesn't want to beat them over the head with it. Hey, let's worship together. It's okay. We're not talking about adultery. We're talking about eating food, man. Let's finish our meal <laughs> and go witness to somebody, you know? Like, let's, let's worship together. And so even though he knows what the truth is, he tells them they need to live in harmony. And I also, I mean, you recognize this, but I'm also struck by the fact that he doesn't just solve all the problems for them. You guys are disagreeing about holy days? Let me fix holy days for you. You guys are arguing about kosher kitchen? Let me fix kosher kitchen for you. He drops drinking in here, and he doesn't unpack that one. You guys are arguing about drinking? Here's the issue. Here's the deal with drinking. He's not always going to be around to solve every debate that comes up in the Roman church or any church. And because Paul is not able to solve every individual instance, he gives us an abiding principle so we can apply that principle to the instances, which is what we're going to do in a couple of minutes here, if I can hurry myself along. He wants to give them an abiding principle, and that abiding principle is that God teaches us how to welcome one another in Christ. That in Christ, God teaches us how to welcome one another, to build one another up for peace. Like he says in verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. Again, I know what's right here, but there's this underlying principle that's more important. It is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, that doesn't mean the weaker brother gets to go to your house and raid your fridge and invade your privacy. It just means when you're out together in those settings. Verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, could you imagine a verse of Scripture that tells you keep your faith to yourself? He's not talking about the gospel. He's talking about those convictions of faith with regard to drinking, what days are holy, or if any days are holy kosher kitchen, blesses one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. You know why he's blessed? Because he eats it, gets to eat bacon. I'm serious. That's what Paul means. The person with the less restrictions enjoys more of God's blessings to God's honor and gives thanks to God. So this person can enjoy things that the other person is restricted and can't enjoy. So blesses the person who, in the right way, honors God with with the greater bounty of things that they can thank God for. But, verse 23, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. You might on the heels of the sermon go, man, I think I'm being too strict on this area, but I'm not so sure. Let me try it out by, by breaking that rule tonight. Be convinced first. If you're not sure, you're doubting, then you're condemned if you eat because you're not eating from faith. You're eating because... Well, some other reason. It's not yours yet. It's not your conviction yet. Whatever does not proceed from faith, he says, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So we have to be convinced. It could be sinful for someone to eat a pork taco. It could be. If they read the Old Testament, it says no pork, and they show up that afternoon and they're like, oh, snap, that's pork on the menu, but I was just doing devotions in the Old Testament this morning. It says don't eat pork. Then don't order that because you're not there yet. And he bases this on the work of Christ. Check it out, the top paragraph of chapter 15 to bring this home. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak or the weaknesses of the powerless and not to please ourselves. 
Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Psalm 69, he's quoting Psalm 69. They're often quoted for Christ. That the reproaches that are for God, the hatred that people have for God the Father fell on Christ. And he did that for the honor of the Father. So we can, we can take a humble pill for the sake of God. And if Jesus took reproaches, I can take a different order on the menu. I could drink water for the meal. For whatever was written in former days, notice now he's going back to Old Testament scripture, was written in former days, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. He's not saying dump the Old Testament. He's saying understand it better. But some of us have not come to the same page on how to understand some of those Old Testament passages. That's okay. The point of it is to push us to endure. The point of it is to encourage us. The point of it is to build us up in our hope, and let's do that with each other instead of nitpicking each other's interpretations of individual rules. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. We can't do this outside of God's grace. It takes God's grace for us to get along and eat together. He grants it for us to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, here's the entire thesis statement to this whole section. Here's the command. Welcome one another. Here's how you do it. As Christ has welcomed you. It's rooted in the gospel. And here's why you do it. For the glory of God. What you eat, what you drink, what you think about holy days, you do those for the glory of God. And how do we do those differently with each other? Because we welcome each other the way Christ welcomed us, with grace and humility, bringing us together for the glory of God. Let me do this quickly and bring it into some application, because I often hear this preached, and I'm like, you know what, man? I think most people in the congregation today, today's congregations aren't wrestling with the meat that they eat. Maybe some of you are. Um, well, let's just start there. We may not argue over meat ceremonially, like eating pork makes you unclean, but maybe you just struggle with killing God's creatures, animals. Maybe you just struggle with that, and the rest of us are, you know, picking animals out of our teeth, and you're like, that was a bunny. That was a chicken. You know what I'm saying? That was a little lamb, and you're cutting it up and eating it. You're like, the lamb is good. Now, the problem is there that you don't have scripture to support you. And that's why you're out of step with the Christians in Rome that were eating vegetables. They were looking at the kosher laws in the Old Testament. They weren't reading updates from PETA. They're, I mean, that's the difference. So eat vegetables if you think that's healthier. Eat vegetables if you don't like the thought of killing creatures. But that is not a scriptural basis. And so you leave other people alone. You eat your vegetables, we'll eat our meat, and we live in harmony. Now, if I'm out to eat with you and I know that it makes you sick to your stomach to eat meat, I'll do my best to order what you order. Rather than picking my teeth in front of you. Let me just be there with you and I'll eat meat on my own time. You gotta let me know though, because otherwise. <laughs> gotta hit those protein numbers. I don't, I don't count. Anyway, 
holy days. Today we have, uh, we only have Sabbath in mind usually when, we, when scripture talks about holy days, uh, which I don't think was the original thing on Paul's mind here. Like I said, he's got all these holy days from the Old Testament that people are probably referring to. Um, and I don't want to spend a ton of time here. I did preach an entire sermon on Sabbath and how it relates to today. If you scroll all the way back to our series through Exodus, I've got a whole sermon there on, on the Sabbath. But we all want to honor the Lord. Some see the Lord's Day as sort of a new Sabbath that is strictly prohibitive to the point where uh, if you go to a restaurant, you're forcing someone else to work on the Lord's Day. You should never go to a restaurant on the Lord's Day because you shouldn't work on the Lord's Day and you shouldn't make somebody else work on the Lord's Day. And then you have people that say, look, Lord's Day, Monday, Wednesday, it's all God's days. Uh, you can work any of them. You can do whatever you want. We all want to honor the Lord, and we all agree there's something special about the Lord's Day. There's something special about Sunday, what the New Testament calls the Lord's Day. And we need to honor that day together. It's a day of gathering. We do that in harmony, even though we might differ as to whether you can pick up a shift late Sunday night. Whether you can go out to eat afterwards, we're going to differ on those things. I differ with many of you on some of those things. But we live in harmony together. Alcohol. Let's do three more, hopefully. <laughs> Alcohol. Alcohol is trickier because the weaker brother thinks they have scriptural support. The weaker brother thinks he has scriptural support, but there is no scriptural support for banning alcohol. I also preached a sermon on alcohol. I forget how many years back. We also have a statement on our website and issues for clarification. You wonder why that's there? It's because it comes up. It comes up. And if there's anybody who wants to preach that alcohol is wrong, don't ever put it to your lips, it's this guy. Now, I've seen the damage that alcohol has done. I see what it continues to do. I see Christians flirting with the edge of drunkenness. How far is too far? How do you know that next sip isn't going to take you over the edge? What is the edge? You want to mess with it? The sin is drunkenness. You want to mess with it? If the sin is falling over the cliff, do I want to walk next to that edge? Now, I don't have a verse that tells you drinking is sinful. I just don't. I can tell you what I think is wise, what I think is foolish. I can tell you about situations you don't want to put yourself in. I can show you stats. But I can't command from Scripture that alcohol is wrong. And I'm not offended if you drink alcohol there is support, a lot of support in Scripture for being careful. The weaker brother, who's convinced that alcohol is wrong, should not drink. And the stronger brother should respect that in their company. If you're out to eat with a bunch of Christians and you're not sure where everybody's at on it, why don't you save that drink for later when you're by yourself? Because some other Christians may not be there yet. And some other Christians... Somebody died because of that. Some divorce happened because of that. Some wife is getting beaten because of that, because of the abuse of it, not because of the existence of alcohol. Respect that. Respect that and drink in, on your own. What about smoking? Oh, man. Well, let's use Paul's injunction, okay? Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You can take that to mean he doesn't want you to be impaired, so is what you're puffing on impairing you? Are you kind of like, oh, you're not you anymore? That's the same as being drunk. 
Now, I think we have scriptural command to not do that. Could say, well, what about health? Maybe it's just straight up unhealthy to smoke. That's legitimate. How unhealthy is it? I mean, there's different kinds of smoking. How unhealthy is it? Which kind of smoking are we talk of, talking about? And do you eat Big Mac and fries? I mean, we have Christians that are like, oh, I would never smoke. Oh, I need a new shirt. So if you're going to play the health card, be careful. Be careful. I'm not promoting smoking, y'all. I'm just saying these are the things we have to grapple with because Scripture doesn't say smoke, but it does say don't get drunk. That's what we have. And we've got to use what we have and not invent Scripture verses. Let's use what we have and try to ride that as much as possible. And I do think taking care of our bodies and being healthy is important. Finally, tattoos. I'm trying not to use cheap illustrations. What are things that are people talk about? Now, tattoos are tricky. Let me tell you why tattoos are tricky. You do have scripture that clearly tells you not to mark your bodies up by cutting or inserting ink. That's Leviticus. Tells you not to do it. So that's why it's trickier. You can point to it and say, look, it says don't do it there. It's worldly, it's ungodly, and so we shouldn't do it. But Leviticus prohibits lots of things that we don't lo no longer see as binding. And unless you're going to implement all of Leviticus, why are you just picking on tattoos? Is it just because you don't like it, bro? Right? So you, if it, it, it has to match what's going on with all of Leviticus. And I'll remind you, we also preach through Leviticus here. How, do we, how are we supposed to handle those laws? Go back and, and listen to some of those. I'm not saying I got everything right, but if that would be helpful for you, we do have those online. The reason for the prohibition of tattoos in the Old Testament seems to me that it's, it's being like the pagans. It's adopting a practice that was uh, intricate to pagan cultic practices. If you're not convinced of that and you think God is just not talking about that specific cultic practice, but just tattoos in general, then definitely don't get a tattoo of any kind. If you feel like there's freedom because it's, it's specifically about doing something that's pagan, uh, related to idolatry, let's say, but you're getting a tattoo that's uh, an ungodly tattoo, I think you're missing the point. And actually, I think that's probably very much in line with what Leviticus is prohibiting. I also want to say this. I think it's important. If you are adorning your body because you have a low view of your image, that you are beautifully and wonderfully made as you are, if you think you're too weak and you want to look tough, if you think you're ugly and you want to look a little prettier, don't pierce it and tattoo it to do it. Go to Scripture and let God tell you what he thinks of you. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of you. Let God tell you what he thinks of you. He made you and knit you finally together in your mother's womb. And because we bear his image, we have value. We don't want to cover that. We don't want to try to boost that with tattoos. But some of you might say, you know, I got all that. I'd like to get this tattoo. Well, you know what? We can eat together. We can worship together. We need to welcome each other with these reasonable positions on issues. Why? Because Christ is the one who unites us and gets us ready to face judgment. He unites us to encourage one another for God's glory. And all the things that we do, we do for God's glory. Don't lie to yourself. I'm doing this for God's glory, and you're really not. Go to Scripture. Paul leans on it. That's how he knows what's unclean. 
Paul leans on it in the last paragraph that we read. He says, go back to the Old Testament. What's it really for? He doesn't want to ignore the Old Testament. He wants to capture what all of it really means. And that takes practice. And it takes a mature faith. The stronger brother is not stronger because they're just older. Have you ever met somebody who's way younger than you? Says something really wise and you're like, whoa. Because it's not about age. God has revealed something to that person. You can be younger age-wise and more mature spiritually. And how do we gain spiritual maturity? Going to Scripture and letting Scripture train our consciences. We're not like convinced in our own mind by what Scripture says, not convinced in our own mind by what I just feel like or what I grew up with. You need to be convinced in your own mind by going to Scripture for it. That is how we'll be able to worship one another in harmony. Let me pray. Father, we're thankful that uh, even this passage is long as it is, as complicated as it can be, we pray that you would help us to apply these things in our lives and in our congregation, showing grace to one another on matters that are less clear, helping one another progress in our faith as we go along, and because of Christ's sacrifice, enjoying the fact that each one of us in Christ is prepared to stand on that final day, to stand in the end, because Christ has covered our sins, we embrace full forgiveness, and in that assurance, we live our lives as thankful unto you in all that we eat and drink, in all that we say. Fathers, we close in the song. Would you massage that into our hearts and unite us in even greater ways going forward? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.